Hello, I am the host of Shifting Culture, Joshua Johnson. I just want to come on before the episode and tell you all thank you for listening. Did you know that big things are coming for Shifting Culture and you can be a part of it? We have just launched a Patreon. When you become a monthly patron to the show, you will get our episode ad-free, get early access to episodes, be able to download episode guides, and get bonus shows. Go to patreon.com slash shifting culture to support all that we are doing. Your support means that we can continue to help the body of Christ look more like Jesus. Again, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture. Thank you so much. Now, on to the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Shifting Culture Podcast, in which we have conversations about the culture we create and the impact we can make. We long to see the body of Christ look like Jesus. I'm your host, Joshua Johnson. Go to shiftingculturepodcast.com to interact and donate. And don't forget to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast app to be notified when new episodes come out. And go leave a rating and review. It would help us reach new listeners. So thank you very much. Previous guests on the show have included Sarah Brule, Lisa Rodriguez-Watson, and Mark Baker. You can go back, listen to those episodes, and more. But today's guest is Beth Paz. Beth has dedicated her life to mobilizing young people to be the next generation of leaders to live out the gospel and join God's mission of justice and righteousness. Beth has been involved in InterVarsity and a variety of ministries, preached across the nation and around the world, and she co-founded the Preacher Academy, which is an online synchronous seminary-level learning community for developing female preachers. She currently pastors at Lake Avenue Church and lives in Pasadena. We have a beautiful conversation around celebrating through grief, moving into the neighborhood, doing some cross-cultural work in Fresno and the United States, and her journey through the valley of grief and desolation during her divorce. And finding Jesus, the one who suffered, was with her through it all. It's a beautiful story that I felt privileged to be witness to. So enjoy my conversation with Beth Paz. Beth, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you on talking about your journey. So welcome. Thank you so much, Joshua. Great to be with you today. I'm excited to have this conversation together. Yeah, I'd love to just start walking through your journey with Jesus um, and maybe walking through some times where you've had uh, had changes of mind, some metanoia experiences where Jesus had said, hey, maybe let's go a different direction or I'm going to open your mind to something else. And so let's just start... uh, your journey, probably entering into university, and what did what did it look like following Jesus for you as you started to enter into university? Um, and what was your walk with Jesus, and what were you thinking at that time? Yeah, I am so grateful to to one just be on a journey with Jesus. It has been um, a journey of delight, of joy, and suffering. And so I think that as I walked through life, one of the most important things has been the ability to pivot, the ability to anticipate the, uh, uh, to be ready to engage the unexpected. Of course, in my 20s, that was not my mindset. <laughs> my mindset entering into university was one pathway forward and this is what it looks like yeah so i uh was so grateful for god's provision of a scholarship to send me to fresno pacific university in fresno moving from down from seattle i entered university with this idea of becoming an overseas missionary that i would be able to share that love and joy of jesus that i had received as just um early in in my life uh, that had continued to grow through church and that now wanted to find expression in my vocation. So I studied English and intercultural studies, and I started traveling. I um, studied abroad in Lithuania. I 
um, backpacked to Europe, uh, visiting missionaries all the way down uh, to Morocco, exploring, like, God, would you call me here? Would you call me here? What What is this adventure with you going to look like? And I went back home my junior year after some of those travels. I entered into an urban ministry uh, internship. It was a focusing on biblical community mm. and justice and leadership. And I thought, oh, this will look good on my resume. You know, <laughs> like this, this will be an addition. And it was actually the kind of internship that flipped my theology. Mm. Whereas primi- primarily I'd been raised with a view of God as one who saves our soul yeah. and can't wait for us to be in heaven. Um, this internship, the foundation came alive to me of God's heart for justice mm. and our world and our heart on earth that was created very good. Psalm 97 came alive to me. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. And I felt like I had been raised with the righteousness of God and not the justice of God. Yeah. So bringing together those was a pivot in mm. my understanding of faith, of God's heart, and ultimately this career pathway that I had been on. So at yeah. the end of that year, it was this conversation, God, do you want me to go back to Lithuania? Do you want me to go to any other uh, country? It was like, yes, I would go there. Yes, I would go there. But what I knew God was saying was, would you stay? Would mm. you stay? in this community that is seen as the margins of Fresno, place described by others as high crime and high poverty, and why would you live in that place? To saying this is a place of beauty, culture, and where righteousness and justice need to flourish on earth. And so I said, okay. And that was one of the big turning points of creating more openness for God's leading in my journey rather than my own. Well, if you're looking at righteousness and justice go hand in hand and they're and they're mingling together, if you had it separated in the past, what does it look like separated righteousness and justice to you? And then what did it look like mingled together that they are are working in tandem? Totally. It was this understanding that uh, just that our that there's a sacred and a secular, you know, that there's a holy and an unholy, and that God was only about is take mistaking some of those verses of God's holiness is you must be perfect. Mm. And so it really was an unrealistic ideal of a spiritualized life that had no footing in reality. Yeah. And so it was uh it was a divorce spirituality of like my soul and body. And when I found, um, you know, in Hebrew, it's um, Sedekah and Mishpat. And yeah. those two words are held together throughout Old Testament justice and righteousness. And, and it's the idea of living in right relationship with all people, with the forefront of equity in mind. And so, when I now am thinking about faith and the call to be a disciple of Jesus, I remember um, studying in Matthew where it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all this will be added. I, yeah, I was like, I was reading in um, a Spanish Bible and it actually said, seek first the justice of God. And I was so confused <laughs> and I went back and it, and it had been translated justice because in English our our understanding of those two Hebrew words, Sedekah and Mishpat, just became translated as righteousness, but it's right justice. Yeah. And so when I started to imagine how to seek first the right justice of God, then my theology came much more grounded in the present, not mm. just towards an eschological end. Yeah. And so 
what did it look like? It meant moving into the neighborhood, like John 1. Mm-hmm. The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood, says the, the message version. And so I lived in downtown Fresno, and my neighbors, I got to know them and their their joys and their struggles. And yes, our neighborhood had its share of really terrible things, but you look for the beauty of people and culture, and you look for the intersection of how to live out loving your neighbors, mutual transformation of becoming um, a person who sees not just the problems, but the assets of a community and working towards the fullness of life, that abundant life that doesn't just say it's all about your soul, but the abundant of life that says it's for the here and now. Our God is so powerful, so good, yeah, that it's absolutely about transforming the earth with his glory until heaven meets us and is transformed mm. for all eternity. So as you were walking, as, as somebody came from the outside into this community, um, moving into the neighborhood, you're seeing something brand new. You're a, a zealous young person who wants to take on the world. Uh, what are some some things that you started to learn as you actually were living and working and walking alongside others within community? Absolutely. So um, I had by this time gotten married. I was married cross-culturally to a Latino man, and uh, the neighborhood was predominantly Latino. And um, I reached out in the way that I knew how to do as a white woman um, with baking. And it was Christmas, and I was going to get to know our neighbors. And so I did what I do at Christmas. Let's bake all the cookies and let's give them out. And um, at the time, my husband was like so embarrassed by this. He um, he was just not on board. He's like, people are going to throw those cookies away. They're not going to know what's in them. You know, like all this happened. So I was like, no, like everyone loves cookies at Christmas. So I got our nieces and nephews. We did a big bake. And then I was like, nobody can resist cookies from children. So like the kids would like go up to the doors. He is walking behind with his hood over his head. Like, you know, like, oh, I'm not part of this group. Well, let me say, he absolutely came around when on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, our neighbors came in force with tamales. Okay, so (laughs) he repented. And uh, I think the lesson is, I know that in that context, I had incredible amounts of privilege as a white woman with education, with um, uh, linguistic, you know, um, full knowledge of English without an accent. These are things that um, that I had to be aware of and know. But if I pretended to be anyone who I was not, yeah. that would be worse. And so um, I came... I hope in a posture of humility to learn from my neighbors and to get to know their understanding of God and life, their struggles and their joys. And we ended up having, you know, uh, 10 years of amazing ministry relationships with throw um, mariachi bands for Mother's Day and mm. posadas at Christmas, joining them with different neighbors in their ministries. And it was just a beautiful expression of struggle, and but celebration. Latino culture really taught me celebration in the midst of grief. Yeah. And uh, I think people who live, um, yeah, in, the, in our community with that constant grief and marginalization, mm-hmm find ways to express the beauty and goodness of God. And that was something that I will always cherish from my time living there. Mm. So what did that, that, what did you learn from that? Because I think some people with going through grief and hardship and difficulty, 
they they put on a happy face or they they cover something up. But what a, what was it of celebration in the midst of grief that actually helped bring you through or bring people through instead of just covering it up and not dealing with the the grief? There was a night that we threw a potluck. I believe it was, we had done a Zumba class for women in our backyard. And I think that we were ending the series of Zumba classes with food, of course. (laughs) And uh, we had this, you know, we had a whole fiesta. And it was... It was over. It was dark. We were cleaning up. And I'm like a straight lace, like, let's get this place ship shape. Like, let's wrap up the food. Let's sweep the floor. Let's take out the trash. Party's over. And I would just go to work cleaning up. I remember being so taken aback by these fabulous, my neighbors, who would start to pack up the trash and then their favorite song would come on and they'd all stop set down the trash and start dancing and like pull me into this <laughs> dance circle and we're just and i'm like but the trash needs to be taken out i think there was something i i that stands out so vivid in my mind that moment of dancing through the cleanup hmm. It just spoke to me on so many levels later in life. Yeah. 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 And, you know, that's, that's so good. How to, how to actually stop and dance and have moments of joy when there doesn't seem much joy around you, but then there is that elation and that joy that happens. And those are necessary moments and needed moments in our life to know that God is, is faithful and he's still good. Uh, and then there is still joy in the morning and the sadness. Um, that's beautiful. As you walked with that, one of the things I think for me, as I learned in my in my journey, that um, I think in my life I've been somebody that I I'm a highly <laughs> I'm a highly competent person. I could get things done on my own, um, and I could do things. And so what that means is I rely on myself and my abilities and the people around me much more than. The Holy Spirit, um, and I've had to learn to say the Holy Spirit is wiser and better and than I am in, in every way, and He knows what's going on and He's doing work. And I actually have to start to learn how to be guided by and to be led by the Spirit uh, as I'm interacting with people. If I'm doing ministry, um, where did that come in for you? How did you figure out a place where? The Holy Spirit needs to have a place in, in what I'm doing or else it's not going to be uh, as effective or full of, of life. As I continued to be a director for the Urban Ministry Program uh, during this time, I had been grow I had been raised and grown in a theological understanding of like women are not, you know, I'm permitted to preach. Mm. And so the ministry placement that I found was in the parachurch world. I was a director. I was a Bible teacher. I was discipling students, college students from uh, across the several cities. And I really was thriving in this area. I started dabbling a little bit in seminary because it just felt like there was more. And it wasn't, I, I started a, a master's program in leadership because I thought, okay, that's that's what I'm doing. That's who I am. But it was lacking. It was just lacking. I sat down with a, a female professor. After listening to me, she said, Beth, it just, you want more. You need more theology. You need the depth of pastoral care and counseling. You you are ready for this. But it takes you naming the fact that you are a pastor and that you are ready and called to the work of ministry in leadership and in the pulpit. And it was a pivotal moment for me in that 
I had to name and confirm within myself what the Spirit was already doing in yeah. me. Yeah. I had to meet and agree. It's really interesting that so much of sin is defined as pride and rebellion against God. I think especially, I'm going to say for women, that the self-denigration of feeling like we are other than or less than is also a sin. It's on the other side of the spectrum from pride. I never considered that I would be in rebellion against God because I was not aligning with the Spirit by stepping into the fullness of God's call in my life. I had some of the same pastoral gifts as you know many of the young men in my college group who went on to be pastors right away, whereas it took me a detour of about 10 years until I started that Master of Divinity. That, I believe, was following the Holy Spirit and allowing myself to match my and hear my deep gut saying, yes, it is good and right for me to step forward and develop the call and the giftings that God has given me to preach and to lead. So for myself, the Holy Spirit was always whispering, but it was a lot of my own sense of inadequacy before I stepped into the fullness of God. And then took some incredible uh, mentors. It took yeah. um, some incredible opportunities that helped me begin to gain confidence mm. in actually following the Spirit. I had mm. been listening, but there's a gap between that listening and doing. Yeah. So I think that's uh, that's important. If we see uh, people that have that on them that actually don't know how to lean into what the spirit is actually doing within them. Uh, say we have women out that have said, Hey, I'm not qualified. I can't do this, but the spirit is doing that work in them. Um, how can we come alongside people, um, and call that out and help them step into what the spirit is doing and actually start to accept it and say, all right, I can walk in to this area and I can be who God created me to be and utilize the gifts that he has given me. Yeah. There's such a, you know, there's a wide view in the church uh, from complementarian, egalitarian to say where, what and where is the role of women? So I wanted just like the theme of this podcast is journey. I only have been on my own journey to that and I felt my own resistance and have, um, walked with a lot of, of folks. Uh, I was entering into a new ministry context and I've had several people here say, I don't believe in women in the pulpit. <laughs> and I, you know, I could feel offended, but really because I myself was in this own journey and say, thank you for sharing that with me. If you'd ever like to have a conversation, um, I, I'm I'm grateful to process with you. I'm not trying to convince you. Yeah. And I say this because it's not just men; it's women mm -hmm. that also feel the, their own resistance. And so, uh, it's been a place for me of both wanting to empower and speak into. I was really helped when a mentor of mine, after heard me preach, came up and specifically said, Beth, you have word gifts. Naming is a very powerful thing. Yeah, You think of all the, the ways that the Lord names us. You are my beloved. You are my the bride of Christ. You are um, just a broken pot you you are just a uh you know a, a shared pot with this beautiful light of christ within coming forth it gives a sense of purpose to our journey and so naming has been very powerful in my life yeah and that's part of what i hope to do is i want the preacher academy it is a, a program online, five months, but it's a community. It, it, confidence is built in community. 
It's not built alone. And of course, this skill set is imp- is very important. And so as women, sometimes we're just expected to get up into a pulpit and just be brilliant, but we haven't been given places of practice before. And so creating opportunities for yep. women to to embrace and find their voice and find their their craft of preaching is really important. So I've had incredible mentors that have made space for me at the table, that have kept me at the table, that have offered me their pulpits, that have breathed words of encouragement. Mm-hmm. And that has um, that's just been really necessary for me to overcome that sense of being an imposter. Yeah. Uh, that sense of you don't belong and finding though like just the utter delight and joy of being one who speaks the truth of God in any place whether it's in a pulpit or on a street bench waiting for the bus to come with a neighbor (laughs) that's good I think one of the things that I think we we often don't understand and don't get is the ability to actually have influence in the kingdom. It's not just about uh, how loud your voice is uh, and how many people you're talking to, uh, but it's actually about how you could amplify others and give them a place to say, I'm stepping into who God has created me to be. And when that happens, when you actually help others uh, become the people that God sees them as, um, that influence actually multiplies in ways that you just can't see. The problem, I think, for a lot of people is that it's not it's not visible <laughs> influence a lot. How can you start to to keep going when you think that things are diminished and small, but really, the influence of the kingdom is is happening and it's large, but you you're disappointed and you struggle through the what you perceive is a lack of um, visible fruit, but there is really tangible good fruit that's happening all over the place, but you just don't see it in front of you right now. Absolutely, we especially. I mean, we have some great authors that have written on the the celebrity culture of Christianity, right? And the charismatic leader who has a ministry revolving around them. And that that era is over. I really believe, I really feel strongly that it's faithful and persistent partnership and witness in both church spaces and outside of church spaces is so critical. So the process of this was just highlighted for me. I had been doing ministry in the neighborhood and with college students, and I was starting to preach more across the nation, and I had the opportunity to preach a plenary for the Urbana Student Missions Conference uh, hosted by InterVarsity in 2018. And this was an audience of 10,000. It was the biggest that I'd ever been part of. And I would be the first woman to give a call to faith at that conference. I spent the whole year preparing this preach. I mean, it was a fantastic process and honor. Um, I had so much joy as I entered into that that week and that moment. It was like it was like Jesus said to me, "Wasn't that fun to do together?" <laughs> and it was. It was. It was that moment, and and it was riveting, and it was palpable of God at work. And I got to be part of it. That in itself can be addicting, yeah. right? When we mm-hmm. see that that work and that we were part of it and you can start chasing those moments. The interesting thing about that was that my personal life had just begun to disintegrate before that moment. And I had had people say, you're going to write a book and you can launch a you know, I, after this moment, like now's yeah. the time to take off. 
And precisely the opposite happened. Mm. I went home. I dropped off the face of the earth as I just tried to hold things together in my personal life. Fast forward, we can get back into that, but fast forward, um, I, within, by the end of that year, I was removed from ministry altogether, and I became unemployed for the next 19 months, and I lived outside of the States in a very remote, small place of the earth. And I remember having a crisis. A part of the crisis was that identity as defined by others, as what you do, as by the fruit. And it was a, it was a laying down on the altar, and it was a relinquishing one thing after the other of saying, the Lord doesn't want me anymore because I preach to 10,000 or because I'm not preaching to anyone. Yeah, There is no thing I could do to be held more in the presence of God. There is no thing that is better than the other thing. It was my own mentality. And so the becoming process yeah. of going through the wilderness and being stripped of those identifiers of success is, I think, pivotal for any person. It can come in many forms and practices, but the end result leaves you saying, Christ within the hope of glory is it. Mm. Christ within. There's nothing in myself that is shiny, that is woolly, that is the power for change in this world. Yeah, It is the presence and beauty of Christ. And that is what I have the privilege to carry. And becoming less of me and becoming more of the vessel where that light shines through has been my prayer as I've moved through that crisis. What a beautiful place that God has, has brought you to that it is Christ within, and that's the glory, and that's the place that you you get to see his faithfulness through it. Uh, but going through crisis uh, and grief and being stripped away of things and going through a wilderness time where you are you don't have anything, <laughs> you have nothing, is very painful, is very hard. And I imagine, I'd, I'd love to just walk through a little bit of that, that crisis of what it looks like to say why God <laughs> or whatever you were saying in the midst of it and what did it look like for God to to lead you through the wilderness um and sometimes I don't I, I don't know let's let's go through it I just imagine if I I'm in that place I'm fighting um and wrestling with God um and it's not <laughs> it's not an easy journey Absolutely. Nobody, nobody wants to be in need of a miracle. Mm -hmm. We hear a lot of testimony on the other side, but nobody wants to be in that place of being desperate for a miracle. I was beginning to feel desperate for a miracle. I felt like my prayers were not being answered. My marriage was unraveling and had gotten to the point of crisis. I was trying to hold it together, speaking nationally in seminary, taking Greek <laughs> <laughs> for my Masters of Divinity. I was in my final semester. I um, was director of this nonprofit. And um, sorry, at that time, no, I was working for a church. And so discipling and shepherding students. And so it was, I was at the end of my my rope. So God's, God graciously, I would have had to quit ministry, but God was very gracious. He provided me with a parish pulpit fellowship, which was a graduate fellowship from Fuller to basically study the global church and uh, practice preaching in cross-cultural contexts. So I was so excited for this, but really it was 
a moment where I felt like this is where the healing of God will come. Like mm-hmm. this is the gracious space where it's all going to get better. Like I can work through some of my marital problems and we're going to find healing and we're going to find restoration. It's going to be the quiet pastures, you know, of the Lord leading us. It was and it wasn't. <laughs> our our expectations can be misleading. There was a great line in um, Pfeiffer and Chung's book uh, that talked about how we have to raise expectancy and kill expectations. And this was a practice in saying, oh, God will meet me. God will lead me into a gracious space. It looks completely different than what I anticipated. And so um, my marriage didn't get better. My marriage unraveled. It got worse. We had to separate. There was incredible crisis. Um, my husband, I didn't know at the time, was we were we were battling undiagnosed and untreated bipolar one. And so through the process of that, it left me unhinged. Yeah. When you want your prayers to be answered and they're not, it gets worse. When you think that um, surely dawn is on the horizon and it just gets darker. Um, it was so painful to sit bereft in a mental institution and say, God, where are you? What is happening? I can't anymore. Uh. I I started going from those plea prayers to contending prayers. Psalm 35, I feel like, is one of those contending prayers where it's it's the tone, the tone changes. Contend, Lord, with those who are content. It it is a, a change of relationship where the niceties are gone. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't know where the Lord was because I would wanted a yes or a no, but instead it was just a void. I think anyone who's been through these kinds of dark nights, it's a season defined by surviving. And it's like, I stopped wearing makeup because I would cry it off every day. I started charting how many days I cried in a row and I stopped after 40. It was just a season of where uh, the world as I've known it doesn't function in that way. And so I lost weight. I cried. I went into severe depression. Um, I started therapy. I started uh, meds. It was like all of the things. At that time, it was really difficult because I then was on the other side of the world. And so my community wasn't around me, which I would recommend to anyone going through a season like that, that you try to be near community, not far away. And um, I found a tiny bilingual church in Guatemala. And there was uh, some women there that I went to Bible study with during my three months of living there. And I just wrote what I call pit theology, just from the depths, crying out. It's all dark, crying out. So through that season, I wrestled deeply with theology. I wrestled with um, my own sense of integrity and what covenant means. I ended up getting divorced, and that has been a very fragile and tenacious thing. Yeah. After 11 years of being in ministry together and now pastoring, it felt like a disqualification from ministry in total. It felt like... I hadn't turned the cheek enough. It felt like I hadn't forgiven enough. It felt like when the grain of wheat dies, it will return. I, I, I just, it, 
it was contrary to all the theology that I'd heard in church. Yeah. That if you just love unconditionally and if you just pray uh, in surrender, the Lord will make a way. And what happens when the way that is made seems contrary to the will and scripture of God? And so I wrestled in the fact of my marriage ending and feeling disqualified from ministry and being very alone. And that season of of this dark night of the soul was, I think, only uh, exercise in perseverance. Yeah. Just getting through. I eventually, after Guatemala, went to Albania, and that was in the beginning of 2020. This was the second part of the of the of the fellowship, and that was really the place of the working out of this with Jesus. I went for hikes every single day, and as I lived in this remote area, I had gone there to teach a Bible class. The weekend of the class, um, COVID nineteen erupted in Italy. The borders all over Europe were closing. Fuller said the fellowship is over. Come home. I'd rented out my house for the year. I didn't know what to do. And the um, director of this the international school where I was staying in Erseka, Albania, said, you're welcome to stay here if, if you want. And I felt abandoned in the world with a global pandemic, separated from my, you know, my my husband trying to wrestle with a God who wasn't answering my prayers. <laughs> it was destitute. And and yet we have a God who went through the darkest of nights in Gethsemane. Jesus himself wrestled with God saying, I don't want this. I don't want this. And yet your will be done. And he went back to his friends and said, keep watch with me in the darkest night of my soul. And his friends fell asleep and he was alone and he went back and he contended with the Lord. And he said, at the end, not my will, but your will be done. And he went to the cross and he died. And that's the gospel. And I had to get to the point in the wilderness where I decided, regardless of whether or not this had a happy ending, that I believed in God that I believed God was all-powerful and all-loving, and that there were things beyond my understanding that whether or not my circumstances, you know, indicated that thing that I would believe. And so my faith was made up as my life was broken up, and I decided to believe because of a God who went through dark nights who kept watch when no one else would keep watch and who ultimately bore the suffering and pain of inexplicable and unjust things. Yeah. And that gave me some sort of hope to keep going. Mm. Mm. All it takes sometimes is just that sliver of hope that little piece so that you can take that next step um that you can say okay <laughs> let's let's try again tomorrow um i i know that you have have been there and i you know just contemplating the the world in which they have started to to worship uh deities who actually have not been in that dark night of the soul, that have not been to the point of death, um, have not been into the greatest crisis that you could ever be in. But serving serving a God that would come and do that and be with us in the greatest crisis we will ever face and actually suffer more than us, um, it's quite extraordinary. And you, the way that you, you actually got a little bit of a taste of that, that some people don't 
um, which I, I don't know, I would say, how did that change your relationship with Jesus going forward when you know that he is somebody that was was able was going through some some really difficult things as well yeah christianity was it gets me just a little bit emotional i my faith has changed my faith has changed a lot i preach now with hope but I don't shy away from lament, from weeping, from wailing. And I don't try to cover it up by saying, well, all things work together for good. You know what? I don't think everything works out for good. Can you imagine someone saying to Jesus on the cross, don't worry, Jesus, all things work out for the good. You, like this <laughs> misquoting scripture in yeah. ways that taken out of context become deeply wounding. I want to be a person who can say, I do believe in the hope of Christ. I do believe that God is good. And I do believe, and I wait for the fullness of shalom to be unveiled. And I look throughout scripture and I sit in those passages that say one day all things will be made right and tears will be wiped away from eyes and death will have no more place, neither mourning it, it is the thing that sometimes makes me tick and keep going is the beauty of restoration and redemption. In the meantime, I have so much more room for mystery. Mm. I can hold space for mystery in my faith. And as my good friend shared this weekend with me, in holding mystery, we actually create more room for all. You get you can't have one without the other. And so in the mystery of saying not all of my questions are answered, in the mystery of not knowing why some people's prayers are answered and other people's are not in the way that they want them to, I found that I can hold space for saying I don't know and I may not know, but I also have more space for the awe of things that are beautiful and we don't have an answer for why they're so beautiful yeah it's just like if we try to numb our you can't selectively numb feelings and emotion if i try to numb out my pain or my disappointment i'm gonna numb out my joy and my laughter and so i choose to live heading them face on and I think that is how scripture, that's why Paul talks about how that he wants to know, know the suffering of cross of, of Christ. I think that became so alive. I want to know Christ. Yes, know the power of his res resurrection, right? We all want that. We all want the awe and we all want the joy. But it comes with this and participate in his suffering. And so we have to hold those together in order to get to the good part, which is that becoming like him in his death, so somehow I attain to the resurrection. Mm. It's a holistic gospel. It's a holistic experience of life. It is, it is a faith that is announcing the goodness of God and demonstrating it. It is a faith that holds to the righteousness of God and the justice of God. It's a faith that's grounded in our neighborhood and speaks to the eternal glory of heaven. And it's a faith that holds together suffering and resurrection. And that is the embodiment, the integrity, and the beauty, I think, of being a follower of Jesus Christ. That's beautiful. 
is there something if if somebody is listening and they're going through this place, this dark night of the soul, this crisis time where they are crying out and they don't hear anything and there's nothing there. What are some some things that you would like them to know? I know that there's people listening because there's people in my life right now that are going through that. And it's and the pain is inexplicable. And there really are no words. So really I would just start with a hug. Yeah. I would really just start with a walk and maybe noticing a few of the flowers that are blooming. And maybe you can't even feel the beauty of the world right now. And probably you can't feel the joy. And probably it doesn't feel like there's a reason to keep living. Hold on. Take the next hour. Breathe deep. I do believe that there's a way through, but there is not a way around. And one of the verses that spoke to me so much uh, through this time was in Hosea. And, you know, Hosea has his own story, which is a little bit crazy. Uh, but Hosea, Hosea also speaks about this experience of being totally broken and getting through. Tom, let's return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, Mm. but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. It's a three-day story. Mm. So you're in the death in the waiting, and in the resurrection. So if you're in the death, hang on, you're in day one. If you're in the waiting and the weeping, hang on, you're in day two. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. As soon, like the winter rains and the spring rains that watered the earth, he will appear. Mm. Hang on, because with Jesus, it is never a one-day story, never a two-day story. It is always a three-day story. Mm. Beautiful. Thank you. Uh, you know, I always ask, and I think this is relevant to, to, to people as well, if you would go back to your 21-year-old self, what advice would you give? And so for you, knowing your journey and what God has brought you through, what advice would you give to yourself at 21? Recently, I was sitting in the presence of a bishop from Africa, and we were talking about ministry and different things. And as we were leaving, it was like he commissioned me with this word. (laughs) Doctor, uh, he said, Beth, the will of God on your life is not to do ministry. You know, I'm thinking, what? (laughs) He said, the will of God on your life is to live. And I have been thinking about that so much because through this process of becoming, I have been such a doer. But Mm -hmm. through this crisis, there's so much of me that rests in the being now. And we talk about share share your faith and then live your life. But so much has become apparent to me on the journey and the adventure of Jesus that I want to actually live my faith and then just share my life. Mm -hmm. And I would put more emphasis on that back in my 20s. But I'm grateful for the zeal of my 20s and the forming of my 30s and the wisdom that has now come out of those two decades that will inform this living the adventure with Jesus and sharing my life. And I hope 
that that encompasses the joys and the sorrows along the way. Mm. That's great. Anything you've uh, been reading or watching lately you could recommend? Wow, that's a great question. I just came off a vacation where I actually took time to not do any reading. I took time to observe creation. And I would say studying creation has left me with some beautiful um, reflections. Right now, it's Psalm 84, where it says that we want to dwell in the courts of the Lord as he takes us on this journey. And um, for me, uh, nature has been an incredible teacher. As I went snorkeling and scuba diving, I thought about how otherworldly it is to look into the oceans and see a fish and swimming with green sea turtles was incredible. And I thought, this is earth, but it's otherworldly. Yeah. And I think that's what it means to live as a Jesus follower, but in the courts of heaven. <laughs> and so that is my picture of what I'm uh, pondering as I enter into 2023. And I'll have a book recommendation next time. <laughs> nice. I love it. Well, Beth, thank you for sharing your journey with us. It was uh, beautiful to see uh, the the depths of desolation, your soul of having nothing but Jesus being faithful in the midst of it because he has suffered uh, and gone through crises like you have um, and has felt it and has been there and that you actually see that there's uh, there is a three-day journey that there is uh, resurrection but we do go through death and we go through waiting uh, to the other side of resurrection at some point <laughs> um, whether it be here or there there's going to be a, a resurrection and so thank you for sharing that with us and thank you for sharing it with me uh, I really appreciate you doing that and I know that it's helped a lot of people uh, knowing that they're not alone that there are people that are struggling and having these crises uh, and there are people that have walked through it and there is hope that there is another side um, even though it may not feel like it right now um, so I'd love it if you I don't know if if you have a little prayer uh, to end this time I think would be a appropriate. Thank you, Joshua. Uh, Creator God, the heavens and the earth, our souls and our bodies, you are in all and through all and in you all things hold together. And so for the start of this year or for the place where any of um, these listeners are in, God, would you be the one who sees, the one who ventures alongside with, that you would give us the perseverance to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, to be the one that journeys with others and learns from our friends of different cultures and communities and languages to know that you are the God of all people and places and that your love knows no bounds. And though we are frail and we falter and we have our inadequacies and our rebellions, you are faithful to love us. And when it seems like there is no way or it seems like you are the one who is to blame for tearing us to pieces, God, would you provide a few more hours, a few more days, a few more avenues to sit with you, to hold tension in the liminal space of mystery and find, God, maybe not the answers we wanted, but the awe and the beauty that give us the energy to know that you are with us and that you are walking with us. I pray a blessing of peace for the journey for each of my friends. Amen.
Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to see more episodes like this, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron of the show. You can help us produce more episodes so that we can see the body of Christ look more like Jesus. If you become a patron on patreon.com slash shifting culture, you will get early access to episodes. You will get episode guides. You will get bonus shows, hopefully, and more. So go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron. Also leave a rating and review on Apple podcasts. Uh, It really helps us out and helps us find new listeners to the show and just go and share this podcast with your friends, your family, your network, people that you think would enjoy it as well. Thank you again for listening to the show. I hope you have a great week.